So we're on Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Good morning, everyone. Let's pray, shall we, as we come to look at God's word together. Our loving and gracious Father, we praise you that you have not left us in the dark about yourself or about what you've done, but that you have revealed yourself to us in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and in your word, the Bible. Please, would you help us as we spend time in this bit of Colossians. Please help us not just to understand it, but really to grasp it so that our hearts are thrilled by it. And we ask it for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I want you to imagine getting a glass or a mug of your absolutely favorite drink. So that might be Coke or coffee or beer or Bovril or whatever it is. You've got your your glass or your mug and it is absolutely full. Physically, no more liquid can get into your glass or mug. But someone comes up to you as you're sat there with your drink and says, Ah, I see that your glass isn't full there. There's room for more in your drink. Well, no, you're absolutely sure that your glass or your mug is full. But they're insistent. You haven't got fullness there. And then they say, I've just scooped out some water from that stagnant pond over there. Let me pour some in your drink because then you'll have a full glass or a full mug. Well, probably in very polite and very measured way, and for those of us who who are... British, in a very reserved way, you would tell them where to go, wouldn't you? You don't want stagnant pond water in your beautiful bovril. Anyway, your mug's already full. Now, something far worse than that is going on in Colossae. 
People were saying to the Christians there that trusting Christ wasn't enough. That it, that it was a good start, but in order to lead a spiritual life, a full life, there were various things that they needed to do. And if they didn't, well, they were substandard, missing out, sinful even. Now, that is probably what caused the Apostle Paul to write this letter to the Christians in Colossae that we're looking at through the autumn. Last week, uh, we looked at verses 6 to 15 of chapter 2. And within that, one of the key ideas uh, of that passage uh, is uh, there in uh, verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity, of of godness, if you like. And then he goes on, and you, you Christians, have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Far from missing out, in Christ they have fullness. Christ himself is fully God, and those who belong to him have been filled in him, have received fullness. And our passage flows on from that. It's the outworking of that idea. Got two headings to help us. Here's the first. Hold fast to Christ and reject add-ons. Hold fast to Christ and reject add-ons. Verse 16 of Colossians 2. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you, in regard to questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And we need to see the connection with last week's passage in this. You have fullness in Christ, therefore don't let anyone pass judgment on you. But look, how do these two go together? How does fullness in Christ and not letting anyone pass judgment on you, how do they fit? Why might some people have been passing judgment on the Colossian Christians for these things. Well, there are various regulations that God gave to his people Israel in the Old Testament about what they should, and more particularly about what they shouldn't eat. There were various festivals and commemorations they were called to make. All the Christians in Colossae, it seems, were from a non-Jewish, a Gentile background. And what seems to have been happening is that people were coming to Colossae And saying to the Christians, you do what? You eat pork and shellfish? You drink beer and wine? You don't commemorate the Passover or the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Weeks? You don't observe the Jewish Sabbath? What sort of Christians are you? Pretty terrible ones, that's what. You've got so much that you need to add to your horribly basic form of Christianity. Well, says Paul, the ones who have got things horribly wrong, it it isn't the Colossian Christians, but the people who are now trying to influence them. The Old Testament regulations they're trying to enforce on the Colossians. And Paul says, verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow of the things to come. 
Have you ever had the experience, and I know this won't be all of us, and sorry. Have you ever had the experience of, of going to a live sports event, and you arrive at the event just after it started, and you're kind of made to wait uh, because until there's a break in the action, you'll be obscuring other people's views. So you, you have to wait sort of just, just to one side. And as you wait, you can't actually see what's happening. But, but it's a bright, sunny day. And you can actually just see the shadows of the players. And because you're not allowed in yet, you avidly watch the shadows. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think she's just hit the ball. Oh, hang on, the ball's gone really high there, I think. Oh, wow, yeah, great. You can get some sort of impression of what's going on. But when there's a break in the action and you're actually allowed in, it'd be fairly extraordinary if you didn't watch the players and what was happening, but instead fixated on the shadows. There was a time before you could see the action where the shadows were kind of helpful. But once you see the action, you can leave the shadows behind. That's the picture here. The Old Testament regulations about food and festivals, they're a shadow of the things to come. The false teachers wanted the Colossians to follow all those regulations, but they're just a shadow. The substance belongs to Christ. In Christ, you've got the real thing. You don't need to fixate on the shadows. The things that that came before are just there to point us to Christ. So here at Emmanuel, we firmly believe that the whole Bible is God's word. That's why we preach from the Old Testament as well as from the New. So in the, in the last year, we've been working our way through Exodus, the second book of the Bible. We've, we've spent time looking at some of the Psalms. But we do that because they point us to Christ. He is the substance. We'll be coming back to Exodus next year. And looking at the second half of the book, which is predominantly laws that God gave to his people as they went through the wilderness to the promised land. When we come to those sections, if the preachers teach what is there as you must follow these laws, you're a bad Christian if you don't, then you would be well within your rights to point the preacher to Colossians 2. Indeed, I would urge you to do that because the substance is found in Christ. The regulations that came before, they're just shadows to point forward to him. A friend of mine had moved to a new city and was looking for a church to join. He he attended a church on one of his first Sundays and in many ways it was great. The welcome was warm The music was just to his taste. The coffee was even good afterwards. The problem was the talk by the church minister, who after the service happened to engage my friend in conversation, asking him very nicely how he'd found the service, and then asking him how he'd found the talk. Awkward. My friend mentioned a couple of positive things, but then said, you didn't mention Christ in your talk at all. Well, I was preaching from the Old Testament, said the minister, but but surely, said my friend, surely the whole Bible points to Christ. Oh, yes, absolutely, said the minister. And then to try and assuage my friend, added, 
don't worry, I didn't deliberately not mention Christ. So that might somehow make things better. My friend didn't go back because the substance belongs to Christ. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Now, we read the word disqualify and it makes us think of athletics or exams and and being disqualified there. And that probably isn't the sense here. Some English translations have, let no one condemn you. And in order to be as clear as possible, it's not what the English Standard Version, which is the Bible we, we use, but in order to be as clear as possible, we're gonna, that's the translation we're going to go with. What was causing people to condemn the Colossian Christians? Let no one condemn you, insisting on asceticism. Now, asceticism isn't easy to say uh, or to understand, it's not, it's not a word we use in everyday English, or at least I don't. One translation, I think, helpfully has it as harsh self-denial. Harsh self-denial. And I think that gets the sense of it. Let no one condemn you, insisting on harsh self-denial. Now, Christians are called to self-control. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, isn't it? But asceticism is something much more than that. It's an insistence on things like various foods are wrong for Christians to eat, particularly the nice ones, that you cannot eat them. Heating? No, no, no. That's not for Christians. Keep that off in winter. Showers and baths, much better if they're ice cold. And if people won't do those things, that kind of beating up of the body, well, they're clearly not proper Christians. That's what people were teaching. Watch out, says Paul. Let no one condemn you insisting on asceticism. People are insisting on those things. Watch out. And worship of angels. Colin mentioned last week that that might, could mean one of two things could mean worshipping angels, or it could mean worshipping with the angels. I would take it to be the former, actually worshipping angels. People insisting that in order to be properly Christian, as well as worshipping God, you also had to worship the angels. They're really important in Scripture, didn't you know? Now, I think that seems like a bit more of a remote problem for us. But the second half of verse 18 might be much more on the money going on in detail about visions. wonder how vibrant you think your spiritual life is. Do you enjoy a great closeness to God when you pray? Most of us, I suspect, if we were asked that, would start arming and erring a bit. I mean, we'd love a closeness and intimacy with God, but, but somehow it, sometimes it feels a bit elusive. Which means if someone speaks of great spiritual experiences, we're attracted. Visions. They've had visions. Wow. I'd like to hear more about that. 
Well, fear not. More details are very forthcoming. They go on in detail about their visions. But Paul warns that that the person who does that is puffed up without reason. They think far, far too much of themselves. They're full of themselves, we might say, and for no good reason. Now that should just cause us to pause and think. If someone has felt God particularly close to them, or feels that they've had had a real encounter, a significant encounter with God, we do not want to pour scorn on that, do we? But as someone recounts it to us, it, it, it is worth just asking ourselves, what does this person want here? Do they want me to think more of Christ? That's great, isn't it? Someone is telling me their experience so that, so that I think more of Christ. That is, that is great. Or are they wanting me to think more of themselves so that I think really highly of them? Have they got puffed up? Are they thinking too much of themselves? And are we in danger of being drawn in, of being swayed by them? Paul would actually go further than that. They're not just thinking a bit too much of themselves. They are, verse 19, not holding fast to the head. They're not holding fast to Jesus Christ. That's serious. That's serious. Not holding fast to Jesus is serious. At the summer camp I used to serve on, each camp, two of the leaders were asked to explain to the young people how they'd come to put their trust in Christ. It was called speaking personally. And one year I was asked to do one of those slots. And the brief I received in advance was very simple. It said, about five minutes and about Christ. It was a brilliant brief, about five minutes, not going on. And my testimony shouldn't really be about me, but about Christ, about what he's done for me, for us. All of us who are trusting Christ are his body of whom he is the head. When personal experience takes center place, the danger of verse 19 is very real, that we won't hold fast to the head. Instead, sisters and brothers, individually and together, we need to make much of Christ. We need to hold fast to Christ the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now, YPF, don't necessarily answer your GCSE biology exam from what Paul says here. But what Paul's saying is clear, isn't it? It's as we stay connected to Jesus that we grow together in the faith. It's not from harsh treatment of the body or new ways of worshipping or particular types of experience. We grow by holding fast to Christ. Hold fast to Christ. And reject add-ons. Secondly, seek Christ, not human rules. Seek Christ, not human rules. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? 
do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Let's go through it. What does Paul mean by if you died with Christ? The Christian believer died with Christ when she or he came to be included in him. We read in verse 12 of how the Christian was buried with Christ in baptism. And whereas we, we read if here, if with Christ you died, we, we, we read it as oh, maybe we have, maybe we haven't. The sense here is that we have. It's kind of since, since you died with Christ. That has happened for all Christians. You have died to the elemental spirits of the world. What are the elemental spirits of the world? Well, the definition we're going to go with is that that means the physical universe and the spiritual forces at work within it. The physical universe and the spiritual forces at work within it. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, just plug in an extra brain here. In the Greek in which Paul wrote, the the word translated here to is more normally translated from. And I want to suggest that makes better sense here. If with Christ you died from the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Now, to, from, you may be thinking potato, potato, so what? Just bear with me. We died from the elemental spirits of the world. What authority do laws have over a dead person? Well, they have no authority at all. You might say that a a dead person has died from the laws. That's what's happening here. If we're in Christ, we've died from the physical universe and the spiritual forces within it. We've been freed from their authority. They They have nothing over us. No authority over us. Well, given that, says says Paul, why, as though you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? You've died from all these regulations. So why are you still trying to submit to them? Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These, These human laws, why do you do it, Colossians? They don't... They don't apply to you. And are we in danger of doing it as well? Why do we submit to human rules? Because we think that rules will help us. We think a set of rules are going to live by these rules. We think it'll help us. But they don't. Far from it. Verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, nice to have that word again, and severity of the body, but they are of no value, no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here's what we like about rules. They feel manageable and measurable. We can make a list, and as we do the rules, we can tick them off, which makes us feel smug if we do them, or make us feel like failures if we fail to do them. There are certain things God commands us to do or not to do in his word. In next week's passage, we'll read this. But now you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. God in his word does tell us how we should live, including 
specific commands of what we are and are not to do. But we love to add to them. Don't eat meat on Fridays. You've been taught that, I've been taught that. Don't eat meat on Fridays. Won't find that in the Bible. Don't eat chocolate in Lent. Go to bed before midnight. Get up before seven. Say the Lord's Prayer every day. At the beginning of a day, you have to pray before you go on your phone. You have to. Have to pray before you go on your phone. Take cold showers. Maybe different things, but we, we add human rules to what God commands. And we give them the same status. I'm a terrible Christian. I've been on my phone and I haven't even prayed yet. Why do we do it? Control. We want to bring order and control when we feel out of control and out of order. Here's the thing. These things have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If we think that adding a load of human rules will stop us going down sinful paths, then we are conning ourselves. They are, says Paul, of no value, none, zero, zip. And we're acting as though we still belong to this world, which in Christ we have died from. So don't do it. Don't do it. Your human rules, don't have them. Don't add them. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seek Christ, in whom the whole fullness of the deity dwells. Seek Christ. Your rules don't stop the indulgence of the flesh, the cravings of the sinful nature. You know that. You know they don't work. They don't and they can't. But Christ can. We'll see more of that next week. Your rules can't change you, but Christ can change you. So seek him. Think back to that full cup of your favorite drink. Did you want stagnant pond water added to it? Of course not. You already already had fullness and adding to your drink would ruin it. And brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have someone far more precious, far more wonderful than your favorite drink. In Christ we have fullness. Seeking to to add to him with our human add-ons and our human rules, it is the height of foolishness. Christ, friends, Christ. Christ alone. Hold fast to Christ and reject add-ons. Seek Christ, not human rules. Let me pray. let's Let's just take a moment. Maybe reflect and express to the Lord Jesus if there are things you have been seeking to add to him and to faith in him alone. And say to him in the words of the hymn, Christ and Christ only, the first in my heart. Lord Jesus Christ, you are amazing. You are wonderful. We want 
to be thrilled by you and yet our hearts are so deceptive. We turn aside from faith in you so easily. We seek other things rather than you. Please would you help us to delight in you and to make much of you. And as we do so, please, Lord Jesus, would you be changing us more and more into your likeness. And may all the glory go to you. Amen.